I just think right now, women, especially in business, this is the year of women. I just know that. Life begins at 150 grand a year. Life gets better at 250, and life gets real good at 500. Nobody can tell me differently on it. When you start teaching something, I feel like that's when you start to master the actual art of it. You and I, when we publish a book, we can go toe-to-toe with any of the New York trade publishers, any of the big-time authors, and we get to compete in that marketplace and then let the market decide whether our stuff is good. People forget sometimes as an entrepreneur, the whole damn point of entrepreneurship is to make money. And now here is The Win with your hostess, serial entrepreneur, marketeer, and chief sexy boss. Heather Havenwood. Have you ever wanted to stop the nine to five grind and start your own company? Do you want to have more control of your income and your time? Then now is that moment to start and grow a successful business. As a female entrepreneur, I have succeeded. I have bit the dust. I have bounced back to growth and prosperity. But this would not have been possible without first taking the leap and owning my own business. But I didn't do it alone. I hired my first business coach 13 years ago. And now I help small businesses, solo practitioners, and professionals double their income and triple their time off. So let me help you too. My gift to you today is a free one-on-one strategy session. So go to coachwithheather.com, coachwithheather.com. And let me help you double your income and triple your time off. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Um, So as you know, The Win is about helping solo entrepreneurs take their business to the next level, no matter where they're at. And our guest today is pretty amazing. So I reached out to him via Twitter. People always ask me, how do you get guests? How do you get on podcasts? And I'm like... I ask. That's that's what I do. I reach out to people and I say, can I be on your show or will you be on mine? It's called asking. I know it's kind of an old thing, an old school deal, but that is what I do. So I reached out to Paul and I said, hey, um, via Twitter, it still works, everyone. And I said, hey, will you be on my show? I really love what you're talking about. So um, I'm very excited to introduce to you Paul Smith. So welcome to the show. I'm before I introduce you. Are you there? Oh. I, I am. Thanks very much for having me on, Heather. It's good to be here. Yeah, and thanks for responding to my tweet. Mm-hmm. You're welcome. <laughs> um, says, Twitter's dead. I'm like, I, I don't <laughs> think it is. I, I really don't think it is. So I'm going to introduce you who Paul Smith is. He's one of the world's leading experts in organizational storytelling. And as a keynote speaker, as a keynote speaker, storytelling coach, and author of the books Sell with the Story, Parenting with the Story, The Bestseller, Lead with the Story, already in, in its eighth print and available in six languages around the world. And Paul is also the former coach, a con, sorry, consultant, it's very different in that world, of yeah. Accenture and former executive and 20-year veteran of Procter & Gamble Company. He's got a ton of other things I would love to go into. It's just a really long bio, but I'm going to put it in the show notes. But the key here is he, uh, you can check him out at leadwiththestory.com. Here's the deal. The reason I reached out to you, Paul, is because I talk a lot about why people should get on podcasts because it gives them that opportunity to share their story, not their resume. I'm always like, don't mm-hmm. tell me your resume. 
share your story. How did you start? How did, what happened? You know, that kind of story behind the business kind of thing. And so when I saw your book, of course I was like, Oh, I got to talk to this guy and you were very generous and you sent me the book prior. So I've been able to read it and mark through it and agree with it, disagree with it. I'm just kidding. Um, and you know, you come from a different perspective, which is more about the organizational or large businesses. I'm talking like big businesses that you've been working with, like Hewlett Packard, Google, Ford, Bayer. I mean, you've got some big names here, Procter & Gamble, Kaiser and Permanente. So, and I, you know, I don't work with big companies. It's a very different conversation. So mm-hmm. I kind of want to first start with, you know, sell with the story. How did this all like come about? How did this happen? Yeah, well, so this particular book, uh, like you said, it's the the third that I've written. So it started with Lead with a Story, which is just an idea that I had that after 15 or so years of working at P&G, it finally dawned on me that storytelling was an important skill to have if I wanted to be successful as a leader. And I just found it difficult to learn because they, they didn't teach me that in business school. They didn't teach me that when I joined P&G. So I, I just kind of set out to learn it on my own. I read some books and I still didn't know how to do it. And so I, I started interviewing, kind of like you just said, how did I get Paul on the podcast? I asked. So I asked a bunch of leaders if they would spend an hour with me on the phone so I could talk to them about storytelling, the stories that they're telling and why they tell them and were they effective and what was the story and at this point, I've probably interviewed 250 to 300 CEOs and executives and leaders all over the world, and and I've I've got and all of them told me eight or ten or twelve stories. So I do that math. I, I literally have documented over 2,000 stories, and I just ended up reverse engineering my way into what makes a, a, an effective story and what doesn't. And that that was lead with a story, which led me to parenting with a story, which now led to sell with a story. Just because I've had so many people in the selling space ask me. To come speak to the organization and teach them, I thought this this warrants you know a, a book of its own. So it's interesting about parenting with the story, only because um, you talk about you, you two thousand conversation about stories. I grew up listening to my father in stories. Mm. He's a storyteller, and my grandmother, which you know, looking back, who knows how many stories I listened to them. Right, that. <clears throat> that's how I learned about. His past, my father's past with real estate and his past with Vietnam and on and on it goes. He shares with a story. We would just sit there mm-hmm. for hours and, and share. I never thought in a million years he was really teaching me an amazing skill set on mm-hmm. how to share a story. Um, and so like you, um, for me on podcasts, people always go, wow, you're really great on podcasts. I'm like, I don't think I, I'm great. I just, I know how to share a story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's compelling that um, doesn't leave you bored, you know, so, um, and it's true, right? So, okay, so I want to kind of get into this and just kind of jump in. I, first of all, I completely agree with you. If you've ever gone to a presentation, I used to travel the country, the people, the presentations that sold the most, got the most engagement, they don't remember anything about the tips and strategies. What do they remember? Mm. The, the stories. Story, right? Right. Of course. <clears throat> so, Okay, I'm going to talk about you, but sell with the story, and I'm kind of jumping into story structure. And there's a mm-hmm. quote here, and I'm going to ask you if you could kind of explain a little bit more story structure, because one of the questions people always get me is, what's the structure? They want like a da-da-da mm-hmm. structure. So you have, uh, this is great, tell them what you're going to tell them, tell them tell them what you told them. It's the most advice most of us were taught in grade school to give a speech or presentation, which by the way, just to make sure everyone clear, no, in my college, I did fail <laughs> presentation <laughs> speech class i uh-huh. failed i got like a d or something like because i didn't do well at the like do that piece i was mm-hmm. telling the story so can you kind of go into the story structure 
Yeah, well, that particular quote, I think if you finish the quote, what it'll say is that story structure works. That works great if you're giving a presentation in grade school. Right. But if you're trying to tell a story in the business world, that doesn't work at all. That's not a helpful structure Um, because basically it it just means the middle part of that. Tell them. So it was you were told, tell them what you're going to tell them. That's the introduction. Tell them your whole point. And then after you're done, repeat, repeat it, remind them what you told them. So you've told them the same thing three times, right? right? That's that's not helpful because what you want is, okay, for that middle part where I'm actually going to tell them something of importance, mm-hmm. how should I do it? Well, that structure provides you no guidance for that. So that's just not helpful for an adult trying to tell a story. It's helpful if you're trying to maybe give a speech where you have three main points you want to get across. Right. But that's not storytelling. That's speech making. So for a story, it turns out there are, there are essentially eight questions that you need to answer for your audience in order for the story, a real story to make sense to them. And the first question is, why should I listen to this story? <laughs> right? <laughs> if you don't answer that, they might not, right? They might either physically, mentally, or emotionally walk away from you. Right. Right. So you've got to answer that question first. Why should I bother even listening to your story? And then you've got to answer some pretty logical questions. Where and when did this happen? You know, who's the who's the hero or the main character and what were they trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. What was the problem or opportunity that they ran into? What did they do about it? Mm. How did it all turn out in the end? Right? And that's typically the end of the story. But then after that, you may want to answer a couple of more questions like, what's the lesson that you think I should learn from this story? And what do you think I should go do now as a result? Like, what's your recommended action? So I think if I got all those, that should be eight different questions that your story needs to answer. And it kind of needs to answer them in that order. Otherwise, you've kinda, you'll confuse your audience. Okay, let's just repeat it. Yeah. <laughs> so repeat this, the eight steps. Yeah. So why should I listen to this story? Okay. Right. Um, then, and you're not into the storytelling yet. That's So you haven't started the story. You've given them a reason to listen to you for the next two minutes. Not the next 20 minutes, but you've given them a reason to maybe listen to you for two minutes. Then the real storytelling starts. Where and when did it take place? Mm-hmm. Who's the main character and what did they want? What were they trying to accomplish? Okay, that's the setting, the background of the story. Then you get into what was the problem or opportunity that this main character ran into? Then you've got to tell them what did they do about it? Did they just let that thing happen to them or did they respond in some interesting way? They probably responded, right? Mm -hmm. Then you've got to wrap it up in the – and that's the longest part, by the way. What did they do about it? That's the the conflict in the story. That's the action of the story. 50 or 60 percent of the story can transpire in answering that one question. What did they do about it? He did this and she did this and then the bad guy did this and then the good guy did this and there's a lot of activity there. Then then it's what did how did it turn out in the end? Right. To tie up the loose ends. Did the hero win or lose? Did the world get saved? Whatever. Then, you know, you're technically done with the storytelling and then those two follow up questions. What did you what do you think I should learn from this mm-hmm. or what did you learn from this when you heard this story? And what do you think I should go do now? This is that's where you get to make a recommendation. Rec- so those are the eight questions. Yeah, it's interesting. So in the world of recommendations, so again, I used to travel the country and do these seminars and the speakers wouldn't get paid to be there. They're not keynotes. Mm. They get paid when they sold a product. Very different versus I'm going to give you X grand to show up and your presentation can be boring as hell (laughs) while she gives the information versus standing up, get it, you know, you paid your way there. You have an hour, hour and a half, whatever it is. And you've got to compel this audience to get up, take a credit card out of their little wallet, walk across the back and throw it in the back. That's, that's a huge leap. So I would always say the people that 
compelled the most people to purchase to run to the back of the room or to throw down a credit card for two or three, four thousand dollars was the ones that told the story that connected with the audience, you know, that they understood. Like I understand that pain that they went through and then they did this thing that fixed it. And then they're going to say, I'm going to give you that thing, the elixir, that's what I called it, the elixir, and then I'm going to teach you that elixir. So if you're feeling this pain, here's the elixir, and now go buy my stuff. (laughs) Right. Boom, boom, boom. Is that kind of the concept that you're in the world of the selling piece that you're – I'm kind of generalizing there. Yes, no, but that is exactly it. So, okay. so in in the book, I, I after interviewing all these sales professional salespeople at at uh, fifty different companies around the world, what I concluded is there is about twenty five different types of stories that great salespeople tell, okay. and the kind that you just talked about is one of them, and it's number thirteen. Right? It's it's the problem story. It's a story to help the audience understand the problem that your product or service is designed to solve. And then it's typically followed by another story, which is a success story of, now let me tell you about one of my other customers who had the same problem that you've got, mm-hmm. and they bought my product or service, and now how happy they are. You know, So that's a powerful combination of two different stories, a problem story that sets up the problem, and then your customer success story that shows the solution and why they're happy with that solution. So those are two very typical types of stories that a salesperson needs to tell. And in fact, I mean, can I give you an example yeah, of, of oh, that? Yes. Yeah. So w- one of my favorite ones, it's this guy named Kevin Moulton who, who sells, he works for a company that sells computer software security protocols, which is a that mouthful. Sounds boring. <laughs> it does, but, but the story is not. So, and uh, which is exactly why it needs a story because that sounds incredibly boring, but right. th- they're the people that make sure that when you buy something on the internet or get money out of an ATM, that you don't get robbed. Right? Okay. That's what they do. Okay. And what he instead of trying to explain that, which is difficult to explain and sounds boring, he just tells them about a time he went to a sales conference in Las Vegas. And he said, you know, uh, I was there for the conference during the day. And you know what you do at night in Vegas? You go have dinner and then you go to the casino. So I went to the casinos and I was losing some, then I was winning some, then I was losing some, then I was losing more, then I was losing more. Eventually, I ran out of money. So it's 1 o'clock in the morning. I go to the ATM machine and put my card in. It says transaction denied. You know, I, oh, so I thought I just put the wrong number in, so I type it in again. Transaction denied. I try a different machine. Transaction denied. And he said, so now I know what's going on, right? This isn't an accident. I, you know, I live in New Jersey. All of a sudden, you know, I'm in Las Vegas. It's the middle of the night. I'm trying to get a whole lot of money out of a machine. My credit card company thinks somebody stole my credit card, right? <laughs> and so they've just shut it off. And he said, and that that doesn't upset me. Like, I, I want my, my bank to take care of me like that. The problem that I have is what they did about it. They called my wife <laughs> in the middle of the night in New Jersey. And I, can you imagine what that side of the conversation must have sounded like? Well, I'm sorry, Mrs. Moulton, for waking you up at 4 o'clock in the morning New Jersey time, but it's 1 o'clock in the morning in Las Vegas, and your husband's trying to get a boatload of cash out of an ATM machine. Do you approve of this transaction? Well, you know, she was livid with me, livid with them. I was pissed at them. Like The first thing I did the next morning was call them and complain and – you know, and then they are not my credit card company anymore, by the way. Now, can you imagine he's telling the story uh-huh. to the next bank that he's calling on and saying, I'll bet this happens to your customers all the time. You just don't know about it. Right. And and this lost them a customer, me, and because it not only upset me and, and it, it, it prevented me from doing a legitimate business with my bank, getting money out of my account from the machine, but it, it created a problem in my family life. <laughs> Right. 
So that, that's like a cardinal sin of business, exactly. right? Don't you upset prevent. The wife. Don't upset. <laughs> yeah, the don't wife. upset the wife. Yeah, even better said. That's so <laughs> that is a story like you described, the story yeah. that explains the problem in human terms, as opposed to him saying. Well, studies show that 37.6% of people are dissatisfied or extremely dissatisfied with their interactions with the bank. Yawn. So what? I mean, you should have those stats, of course, but you should augment them with a story like that to make it human in the eyes of the person listening. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that story. That's actually really true. And that's you upset the wife. Therefore, you're done. (laughs) (laughs) He was totally done. Happy life. Happy wife. Right. So I want to go to one piece in the book that I thought was interesting. I don't want to overstep it. It's not that big mm-hmm. a deal, but you talked about journalists and reporters and, mm-hmm. you know, right now we're in the middle of, you know, a bunch of bashing for the media. So yeah. I think it's interesting, but um, in the world of reporters, I, you know, whenever like I, right now I'm, I'm hire, looking at hiring a writer and, mm-hmm. and whenever they say they were, they're a journalist, I like don't want to work with them yeah. because they have a particular view of how right. to tell a story and I don't really think it's compelling. You know, I'd rather right. work with someone who's more of a salesperson or a copywriter, as they call it. Can right. you kind of just explain to people the difference between selling with a story and journalist and yeah. journal writing and that world? Yeah, it, it, it primarily comes down to what we were talking about, which is story structure. So journalists are taught to write in what's called the inverted pyramid story structure. So, so first of all, just that word story is kind of misused. Yeah. Journalists typically don't write stories. They write articles. They write newspaper articles, which is kind of like writing a research paper. Right? It it's just it's just a different type of narrative. It's not a story. It's it's typically and so I call them newspaper articles, not newspaper stories, because I think that confuses it. So they're taught to write in this inverted pyramid, and it started from back in the Civil War when you know the the reporters were calling in their articles to their uh, you know their editors uh, over the teletype machine or whatever, and and at any oh moment. Gosh. The lines could get cut, right? The, a bomb could go off or wh- whatever, and like, and in the middle of them transmitting, and so they had to get all the important information up front, right? So what what happened to who? You know, like who won the election? You know, if you're going to report on the election from last night, you're going to start off with who won, exactly, right? Right, and then you're going to give the details. But if you're telling a story about the election. Who won would come at the end of the story. Correct. Right? You don't – in storytelling, you don't give away the ending at the beginning. You give it away at the ending where it belongs. And So journalism is exactly the opposite. This inverted pyramid put all the important information at the top and then get to the details that are less important at the bottom. That also helps when their editor has to cut their writing because it's too long to fit in the column of print or whatever. They know exactly what to cut, the last two paragraphs, That's the last right. three paragraphs because those are the least important. So – I'm, I'm not going to bash journalism. That, that, that structure is important for a journalist to write an article. But if you're going to tell a story, that, that structure does not help you at all. I think that's why I'm not – I mean I do read, of course, media, mm-hmm. but uh, I don't really necessarily enjoy it because I'd rather hear a story, like a true right. story and, and take me down this path. I, a copywriter friend of mine who's a, um, a forward of my book, Joe Sugarman, he talked about that in copywriting, the first – paragraph or the first sentence its job is to what i call slippery slope you down do you want to read the next sentence and then mm, slippery mm-hmm. slope down the 
road to the next sentence. Like you desire, you just start to desire to read the next sentence to see mm-hmm. what happened. That's right. the opposite of journalism. In my in my view, if I'm reading a story on you know New York Times or whatever, within like you know first paragraph, like you said, I got it. <laughs> yeah, all the facts are out there. All the, yeah. facts the rest are of it's out details. There. And anything else I want to know, if I really want to know the source of blah, 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 I'll go deeper, you know. But I just want to point that out because I think what happens <clears throat> online marketing, people don't understand that. They see media and journalists and then they copy that versus more copywriting, which is right. the art of sales. So, okay. So uh, this other piece I wanted to, to ask you mm-hmm. about, which is delivery. Right? <clears throat> That's a key piece, um, um, energy behind it, delivery. You know, we, we're, you know, there's a lot of things in politics right now. I'm not going down that road, but, you know, there's speech writers for the president and the vice president, whomever, and there are these speech writers. But speech writers, I think it's, a, it's kind of a bad word because they don't necessarily always tell a good story. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why I think our current president constantly goes off script. <laughs> you know, he he you can tell he watches the teleprompter and then he'll just look at the camera and go blah 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 blah. Yeah, because you can tell in his his mind he's like that's boring. You know? Right. <laughs> and so he goes off script and that's what he does. So in the world of delivery, you know, can you talk about that? How would you how would you train that or teach that or help people um, with delivery? Yeah, so so here's probably one of those areas where you and I might not agree, and okay. and that's okay. That makes it interesting. Okay. Um, is I I don't teach that, and okay. I don't because I don't think it's nearly as important as the story. So I think that unless you're a professional speaker or a Hollywood actor, yeah, people will forgive you if you stutter and stammer a little bit, if you don't make good eye contact, if you're you don't shake their hand the right way if you're fidgeting in your chair, all the kind of visual and verbal mistakes that we make when we give a speech or make a presentation. People will forgive you for that if you tell them a great story that has a powerful meaning for them personally. But if you deliver with the perfect poise that would impress a Shakespearean actor and the perfect vocals and, the, and never stutter and perfect eye contact and but you deliver it perfectly, but what you deliver is a boring, irrelevant story. Your audience will never forgive you for wasting their time. So the the thing I want my audience to know, I want to give them license to relax. Nobody expects you to be a perfect Shakespearean Hollywood Broadway actor, You're, unless you are, but most of us are not. So relax. Focus on getting the story right. Get get the structure of your story right. Get the right emotional. Choose the right story to tell, first of all. That's the most important thing. Choose the right story to tell at the and, and deliver it at the right time to the right people. Get the structure right, which you and I have been talking about. Have the right emotional components in it, The right have an element of surprise in it. These are things you can do to, to, to make a great story. If you butcher some of the delivery elements, is that bad? Would it be better if you didn't? Of course. But I just don't think those things are nearly as important as as, get, as picking the right story and structuring it right and getting some of the right elements. And and I want people to relax. You know, this these are business conversations. These are not, you're not usually on film that's going to be watched by millions of people. Right. So I want people to relax and right. tell a tell a good story. Don't tell a story good if there's a difference. You know, that's interesting. So have you have you done any work with improv or studied improvisation at all in the in the arts? Uh, not nearly as much as I should, but I think that's very important um, because the way I coach people to tell their stories is not to memorize them. 
it's to deliver them in an extemporaneous manner, which it which would benefit from some improv training. So literally, the way I tell people to um, to remember their stories yeah. is to write them down in bullet point form only. And basically have them in this that eight question order, have the answer to those eight questions in a bullet point form written down and memorize that. But n- don't write down full sentences and certainly not full paragraphs, because if you do, you'll be tempted to memorize full sentences and full paragraphs. And when I interviewed people for this book, one of the set of people I interviewed were not just salespeople, it was buyers, professional buyers. Procurement managers. That sounds fun. Right. I mean, people that work at like a Walmart or Kroger or whatever that, that, you know, or Microsoft or whatever, their job, they work in their procurement department. Mm -hmm. Their job is buying all the raw materials or whatever that their company uses. And so their their job is literally to to listen to salespeople all day long and decide who to buy stuff from and who not to. So who better to tell me what sales stories work and which ones don't than those people, right? right? And one of the questions I asked them was, what makes a sales pitch sound like a sales pitch. And I got lots of really oh, interesting answers good. to that question. I like that. I'm curious what the answer was on that. Yeah. So, and, and they would say, oh, I know exactly when the sales pitch starts. They said, the hairs on the back of my neck start to stand up and I get defensive immediately. And they said, I can tell, ex- when, I can tell exactly the moment that the conversation with the salesperson turns from casual conversation to sales pitch. And it's that moment that the tone changes from what sounds like a casual conversation to a memorized, scripted um, delivery. And that's when they know the sales pitch is on and their 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 guards go up and, and nothing good happens after that, right? Right. So the way to keep from sounding like you're delivering a sales pitch is simple. Don't memorize your sales pitch. Memorize the ideas and the order in which you're going to deliver the ideas. But if you memorize the words, word for word, you're going to deliver it and like it was written word. For, it's going to sound like you're reading a brochure written by your marketing department <laughs> because you probably are, right? right? Sure. So – Craft your story in bullet points only, and then every time you deliver it, it will sound a little bit different because you will be forced to make up the the sentences as you go along based on only memorizing the main ideas. And then every time you tell that story, it will sound like the first time you've told it because it will be the first time you've told it exactly that way. That's a much more honest Honest. way to tell a story. I call it age to age. People do business with people, not, you know, facts. You know, mm-hmm. or um, in in the improvisation. The reason I asked that is I spent a year doing improvisation mm. training, and I had no idea it was going to help me with podcasting in the future of radio. And I learned the art of telling a story through improv because mm. in improv they would say, you know, you're a Martian on planet Zuru, go, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and this is your <laughs> wife or up, something. Yeah. And you're like, okay, and you have to think of it. A time, a place, and then where are you? You know, mm, literally, I'm, yeah. I'm here. The time is 2020. I'm in the kitchen on planet Zoto. I mean, like, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make it all up and you have to create it and get all that out there. And that's pretty much a lot with storytelling. I, I mm-hmm. think it's storytelling and selling with the story. So that's interesting, the delivery. So with this piece of the delivery, I mean, you definitely talk about, you know, <clears throat> sorry, the, the financial, the fine, sorry. Storytelling is invisible. That's interesting. Good mm. storytelling is invisible. And I, I remember this guy I used to work with. This is years ago, back in Fort Worth. And he's what I call this uh, good old boy, you know, from mm-hmm. Fort Worth. Good old boy and had the Wranglers and had a big old belly and just kind of <laughs> laughed a lot. And you never knew what he was talking yeah. But the man sold. He was really good in sales. Like, he did very well. Uh. We all knew he did very But, like, to me, I would get angry going, 
what does he do all day? Like, he would just sit back and, like, have a brewski and just would tell stories all damn day. And you're like, what does he do exactly? But now, I mean, years, you know, 15 years later, I realize that's why he was a great at sales. He was a good old boy, and he would just sit there and literally just have this conversation. So, in the, so just a quick question on, um, you talk about conflict management, which I thought was interesting in here, about being con- conflict how do you, let's say you're in a sales environment and you're sharing a story and you haven't sold them yet. They're, you're in that place of like still prospect, suspect, and you're trying to get your point across and then someone starts to argue with your story or just some mm. kind of conflict. How do you overcome that? Or, you know, can you, can you talk about that at all? Just- yeah, so I, I probably refer to that as uh, resolving objections. Yes. Right? So if you're in the middle of a sales pitch, yes, certainly somebody's probably going to object to something. Either your price is too high, your quality is not good enough, or something in your pitch they're going to object to. Right. Um, uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find in these interviews that that salespeople were using stories to help them resolve those objections as opposed to simply just the use of, of facts. And you ought to have the right facts too, of course. Um, but the best ones were using those stories proactively. So if if you find in your sales calls that 90% of the time you get the same objection or the same conflict or the, uh, or the same crisis that comes up, you might as well just go ahead and plan for it. And have a good story that you can either tell when it comes up or what some of these folks are doing is telling it in the beginning of the sales pitch just to get that out of the way so that nobody even asks that question or makes that objection. And the way you do that is you tell a story about another client or prospect who brought up that objection Mm. and how they bought from you anyway. And it turned out that wasn't a problem for them at all. Well, I've had several customers who have objected to the quality standards that we have, and they bought from us anyway. They were skeptical about it, and here are their results, and they're fabulous. It turns out that's not a problem after all, right? So you show them through a story with a real example how that turns out it's not a problem. Or others, they thought our price was too high, and they bought from us anyway, and it turned out that they, you know, our product lasts twice as long as our competitors. So the fact that it costs 30% more is actually a good thing. Not, you know, not a bad thing. So having those stories and examples to alleviate those objections either before they're brought up or as soon as they are brought up is very helpful. That's awesome. I love that. Now I'm going to turn turn around a little bit to leading with the story and parenting with the story. Because mm-hmm. you said that you did a ton of interviews with with the sales side. But mm-hmm. because you worked I'm, – I'm, this is my curiosity. You worked with a lot of like, big companies. Did you talk to – you said leaders. Did you talk to a lot of what I call executives or C-level executives? And do you find that people at the at the higher level, C-level executives, are or are not good storytellers? Yeah. So I did I did interview a lot of C-suite executives, and most of, them, most of them, it turns out, are pretty decent at storytelling. And I think that's one of the reasons why they got to where they got. Uh, and some of them were a surprise to me, like, a, you know, a couple of them that come to mind. Um, uh, John Bryant, who's the CEO of Kellogg's right now, and uh, Sarah Matthew, who was the CEO of Dun & Bradstreet before she retired, both of them, before they were the CEO, they were the CFO, the chief financial officer. And before that, they'd spent their entire careers as finance and accounting people. Their entire – not exactly the type of background no. that you would expect to equate to a great storytelling, right? No, not at all. Right. But they're fabulous. And they're, the stories from both of them are in my first book. 
And I'm convinced that one of the reasons why they became the CEO and not somebody else and probably not a bunch of other CFOs have, you know, it's not, that's not the normal path to the CEO no, yeah, job. Yeah, financial right? accounting is usually not the normal path. That's- right. But I think they got there because they were such great storytellers. They, they were able to inspire the organizations and help the organization understand their directive much better than just saying, here are the three things I need you to do. Now go do them. Right. That's so true. That's interesting. They came from counting. Mm-hmm. That really wasn't the, what I thought you would say. That's interesting. I mean, it's really interesting. So in, in, I'm, and now I have my next question. How did you get into all these big companies done in Bradstreet? I mean, these are big companies. Did you just call them up and tell a story or what? You know, how did you have introductions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's a story? great. Yeah. Great question. So first of all, I started uh, with people that I, I know, uh, you know, and you look in your Rolodex after you get to be my age, which is 49. It turns out, you know, a lot of people. You know, and a lot of people, you know, have gone on to do incredible things like those two people I just mentioned. John Bryant sat next to me in my business school class at Wharton, you know, 25 years ago. Sarah Matthew was the boss that gave me my first big promotion at Procter and Gamble. So some of them are just people that I've I've known. But the, the last question I asked everybody in my interviews was now that, you know, the kind of questions I'm asking and the kind of stories I'm looking for. Who do you think I should talk to next? Ah. And every time it was, oh, you got to talk to my cousin Bob or my mother or you know, guy I used to work with. And so I'd get a great referral to somebody else who was a great storyteller. So it's kind of that six degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon thing. Right? You'll you, get to great people. I mean, you t- you went on a particular journey, you know, mm-hmm. like I want to learn this skill. But when you were asking these CEOs, did they say things like like where they learned it? Was it like, oh, I had a parent or I had – a friend or I don't know where I got it from. Did they ever like mention, I'm curious where they, you went on a store, a, a mission, yeah. which is usually not normal. Usually it's like they go through acting class, they learn it that way, or they have a parent. I'm just curious what, right. what you found was maybe a common denominator. Yeah. So, well, so two things. First of all, I didn't ask anybody how to tell a story. I didn't ask any CEO or any executive. I want you to tell me how to craft a story. All I said was, I want you to tell me the stories that you tell. I will figure out what works about them, what doesn't, how to crack, because I'm going to interview lots of people. So I'm not asking these people for their advice because most people cannot articulate to you how they tell a story because most of them never learned it from anybody intentionally. When I asked them, you know, they'd often say something like, you did, oh, I had a grandparent or parent or whatever that told stories and that kind of got me started. But most of them never studied it like, like, like a subject in school. Yeah. yeah. You know, they just picked it up. Some people are just naturally born gifted storytellers and some people are not. And of the ones that are, they really don't know that they are or why they are. They just do it. I was trying to quantify that. So I just I wanted to find people that were and I didn't want to get advice from them on how to do it. Because when you ask when you ask people for advice, you you rarely get good advice. Right. You know, tell me, what's the secret to being successful in business? Well, you got to start with a great product and then you got to market it really well and surround yourself by an amazing team to get things done. That's how you'd be successful. Well, thanks a lot. I never would have thought of those three things. I mean, you, you get platitudes that are useless. So I didn't ask anybody that question. I just asked them to tell me stories. So, so basically tell me the stories you tell your team or – Right. And then tell me if they were effective and tell – and I, I asked them, tell me the, your most effective stories uh-huh. and then tell me your least effective stories, the stories that you've told that just do not deliver what you want them to deliver so much so that you don't tell them anymore. And sometimes that was hard to get people to tell because it was embarrassing for them. Oh, I used to tell this story and everybody hated it and they'd roll their eyes and, hey, I don't tell that one anymore. Good. Tell me that one now. Because I need to know that because I want to figure out the difference between great stories and awful stories. And after listening to 2,000 of those, 
I figured it out. What was the, yeah? What's the difference? Can you kind of quantify that? For yeah, us? well, it's it, it's all the things in the book. The the bad stories are they don't have a good structure. They're not told in the right order. They they skip answering some of these eight questions. I mean, like when you tell a story without telling people where and when it happened. This is just a simple example. It can sound like a fabulous, fantastic story, but if you didn't lead off with where and when it happened, your audience is confused and they're probably questioning if the story is even true or not. Right. I mean, really, did this really happen? Come on, Heather. Really? (laughs) But if you say, look, 20 years ago at the University of Central Florida, when I was there, I saw this happen. Okay. now you didn't say this is a true story, Paul. You just told me where and when it happened. So I naturally assume that it's a true story and I believe whatever else you tell me. Yeah. Right. So that simple thing, you know, that I noticed that adding that in adds credibility to the story. So that's why that's one of the questions that you need to answer early in the story. Because if you don't answer it until later, your audience, they're, 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 they're getting twitchy and they're not listening to the rest of your story because they're hung up on the fact that you never told them where and when this happened. And so there's just a natural order that people need to hear stories or their brain can't process it very well. So one of the things that you know you and I talked about what I call in the green room prior conversation about is movie industry. And since mm-hmm. Oscars was just recently, you know, the movie industry and how there is literally a structure of a good movie and and anytime a I guess a filmmaker goes against that structure, it kind of flops because mm-hmm. we as human beings and I'm curious what you think of this. This is my view. We as human beings have a particular we 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 almost like have a um, a structure in our head that we are attracted to in a way, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think we oh I like that story. I don't like that story. Oh that made no sense to me. You know it didn't it didn't work. I didn't understand it. And the moment it doesn't understand it, boom, the story sucks. I mean that's right. kind of where we go. Wow, well, I don't understand it. And I I think about my 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 father was the storyteller in our family. And uh, he loved the show MASH. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I did too. <laughs> I so I grew up watching the show MASH. Uh, a little bit of Friends. I actually just now starting to get into Friends it's years years later. Mm-hmm. But MASH and that I grew up with. And I, I say that because a, a couple uh, – last weekend actually, MASH was on like TNT or something really mm-hmm. random the other day. And I'm like, oh my god, I so miss this show. And if you watch MASH, it's just it's – just, amazing story mm-hmm. every episode is just this amazing story that just engages you you know and I mean, this is a if you guys don't know what mash is just i don't even know what to tell you on that it's a 70s and 80s show and it's about the mom and it's super awesome and i realized that the reason why that show was so amazing one it's great storytelling but two it create you know it was a very dark time in the mm-hmm. vietnam war and so this story gave light you know it gave light and um hope to right. a very dark setting, right, in the Vietnam War. So in your experience of talking to all these people and in the parenting book, Lead with the Story, Sell with the Story, what is the, I mean, I guess what's the elixir? What's the thing mm. that everyone should take away no matter what industry they're in, accounting, entrepreneurship? Should they learn this skill set? Yeah, so A, they should, and that, that's the biggest battle is realizing that storytelling is a legitimate leadership sales business marketing skill set that you need to have and and that you can learn it uh, but you have to go try and learn it like if you wanted to learn how to play the guitar if i want i don't know how to play the guitar but if i wanted to learn i wouldn't just go buy a guitar and wing it i'd go take classes i'd hire a, a teacher 
to teach me how to play the guitar. And people just think with storytelling, they most of them think, well, I'm either good at it or not, and that's just the way life's going to be. And of the ones that think they need to be better at it, they just think, well, I just need to tell more stories. Well, that's like saying I just need to sit down with the, with the guitar and start strumming on it more. Yeah. No, you need to learn the techniques. So buy a book, take a class, whatever. That's what I do for a living. Teach people how to do this so you can learn the proper techniques and then do more of it. But you're asking what the, the elixir is. I mean, the, the one thing that I think that most great stories have in common, whether it's a movie, a book, a leadership story, a sales story, are, are three things. It's a hero we care about, a villain we're afraid of. And an epic battle between them, right? You think Star Wars, you got your Luke Skywalker, you got your Darth Vader and the epic battle between them, right? I mean, that's the quintessential Hollywood story, he, you know, story. Now, you, you asked about those, those that, that structure that Hollywood puts into these stories. And yeah. they've, they've been documented a number of times in a number of different ways. And the most popular one is the, the hero's journey story structure popularized by Joseph Campbell in his book, I think, uh, a Hero with a Thousand Faces. It's a 17-step process, Right. If you've got – if you're writing your first screenplay, right, or you're writing a 250-page novel, knock yourself out with the hero's journey story <laughs> structure. Fun, right? <laughs> but if you've got two minutes to tell a sales story in the office with a buyer, and that's all you got, by the way, to tell a story is two minutes. You don't have 30 minutes. You have 30 minutes to make a sales pitch, but your individual stories are like two minutes long. You can't have 17 steps, right? So what I've done what I've done in the book, the, the structure, those eight questions – there's, there's four main parts of the story, the context, the challenge, the conflict, and the resolution, all right? That's it, four steps, not 17. So I've boiled it down to that part that people need to have for two-minute sales stories, not two-hour movies. So, so it's in there, but only the important parts that you need. Um, sorry, my... So what – if with that sound, the Hollywood view – I mean just to sum it up, you're going to two minutes – Oh, like going back to parenting and leading with the story and selling with a story. If someone goes, okay, I, I get it, Paul. I, I want to learn this process. Where, how would they go do that? I mean, I, I threw out improv. That's where I learned. I'm not saying that's the right way. I'm curious where you think mm-hmm. and where they go. I don't know how to tell a story to save my life. And the thing before you answer that, I want to point this out. There was actually a study done because um, I do a lot of the world of the dating market, teaching mm-hmm. men how to date women. And, one of the things that um, it, it, it's, it's not my product; it's another co- guy's product, and it, the co- the product's called Cocky and Funny. Okay, and it teaches men, right? Teaches men how to be funny. Uh-huh. Basically, teaches okay. men how to share a story because women are attracted. There's actually a huge study that it's like a ninety ninety percent desire for women for their mate, men, to be able to tell a story. I mean, think about Uh it. You're hanging out in a bar, right? All the women are around this one guy. Like, why are they around this one guy? And here is he, there he is, and he's got a cocktail, and he's telling a story, you know? And everyone's like, oh, you're so amazing, you know? So it is something that females are extremely attracted to in the in the male world in the dating mm-hmm. space it's a leadership p- perspective um i think that's really an interesting kind of dynamic right in the world of dating market so going back to this like how would somebody say okay i want to attract more hot women <laughs> mm-hmm. i want to sell more and i want to lead more and i want to yeah. be a good parent how do i start the process how do i start this process to learn 
Yeah, well, it depends on what kind of a learner you are, I suppose. If you're somebody who l- likes to learn from reading books, get a book on the topic. That's You've got one in your hand right now. That's, you know, that, that's a place I'd like to start. Thank you. Um, if, if you're not into learning by reading books, um, take a class. You know, I mean, you could literally take a community cor- college course in storytelling, you know, I suppose at night. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you can hire somebody like me that comes and, you know, in a day will teach you a workshop on how to craft stories. Uh, I'll admit that I don't have a lot on how to attract women in my class, but maybe you can use the skills the same way. It's the same. Um, yeah, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, l- learn the way you would learn anything else. Read a book or take a class or or find somebody you know personally who's good at it and watch them yeah. and, and and notice, oh, why well, she just did that. Or she told the story that way. Or he told the story. That, yeah, I need to do I need to do it that way. So find a mentor to help you along. That's so awesome. those are the three best ways. Those are the three best ways. Okay, great. Well, I just want to wrap it up. Uh, last when I see if there's last words from you. And I just want to know that, you know, Paul holds a bachelor's degree in economics and an MBA, an MBA from Wharton School and University of Pennsylvania. And you can go check him out at Lead with the Story. Dot com. Any last words for you on, on just tips or strategies or statements for everybody? Yeah, just one. Yeah. Never lead off your story by saying, let me tell you a story. Mm. Worst mistake you can make. Right? It turns everybody off immediately. Their eyes start rolling in the back of their head like, oh, this is going to be like some 15-minute boring story. Just start telling your story. Never announce it. Just tell it. That's good. You know, that reminds me of like a grandparent. Like, let me tell you a story, young exactly. lad. And you're like, oh right. my god. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Leaders don't ask permission to lead. Right? Mm. They just lead. Never ask permission or apologize or even announce that you're going to tell a story. Just tell your story. Okay. How would? Then, okay. I had to ask the next question. How would you lead mm. off with it? Oh, that's what the hook is. So if you find the chapter in the book on the hook, it's that yeah. first question: Why should I listen to this story? So if somebody asks you a question like. You know, gosh, I've got this problem. What do you think I should do about it? The first thing to say is, well, let me tell you what I did three years ago when I ran into that same problem. Then tell your story. That one sentence is the hook that tells them, oh, I want to listen to the next two minutes of what comes out of your mouth because it's going to be important to me. It's going to answer this question. But if you if, if instead you say, well, Bobby. Well, let me tell you a story. Like you, it's just going to fall flat, it's right? Fall flat. So that's that one sentence hook that there's that whole chapter in the book teaches you how to pick the right hook. That one sentence or less than a sentence that gets your audience interested to listening to the next two minutes of your story. I love that. Well, go check it out with leadwiththestory.com. Go check out the book, Sell with the Story, Paul Smith. And uh, I just really appreciate you being on here because I think it's really a key piece in his, you know, your tagline of your book is how to capture attention build trust and close a sale which is so true people do business with people it's called h to h human to human um they do business with stories that they can connect to so thanks for being here really appreciate it uh lead with the story go check them out also on twitter at at lead with the story facebook facebook.com forward slash lead with the story all right paul and um, anybody else, any place, other place you want to leave people or is that it? No, that's that's good. I just really appreciate you having me on. Oh, sure. You're welcome. All right. This is Heather Haven with The Win. 
Are you frustrated by the weight you can't lose? One sneaky ingredient goes by 61 different names and isn't required on food labels, but it could be causing those stubborn pounds to stay stuck. That extra weight is not your fault. A new report, The Hidden Culprit Sabotaging Your Weight Loss, is available now at heathercleanliver.com, reveals this ingredient and how it's preventing you from losing weight. If you're struggling and you want to break free from dieting misery, visit Heather's cleanliver.com right away and get your free report. It's an eye opener. What you don't know could be hurting you. The extra weight is not your fault. Visit heathercleanliver.com Thank you for listening to The Win with Heather Havenwood. Interested in coaching with Heather? Go to heatherhavenwood.com and sign up for a business discovery consultation. Here is your free gift for listening. Get three audio chapters of Heather's book, Sexy Boss, How Women Empowerment is Changing the Rulebook, when you text the word sexy to 7200. Again, text the word sexy, that is S-E-X-Y, to 7200, and receive your three audiobook chapters. Number is good only in North America. This is a sexy boss rap. This podcast is a copyright of Havenwood Worldwide, LLC.